Now playing Fun and Fancy Free from 1947. Disney Movies, destroying your childhood one movie at a time. My name is Nick, and I am your tour guide, as always. Today, we will be discussing, in Episode 9 of Fall Disney Movies, the fourth package film, Fun and Fancy Free. This means we are halfway done with Walt Disney's package films, and I could not be happier. At least not after the last two. This time... We're dealing with two short films that were put together, one of them starring Mickey Mouse. Whereas the last time we had a bunch of shorts, this time we have two 30-minute cartoon shorts with a fair amount of framing between the two. Pushes the runtime to about 72-73 minutes. The two films that were in here, one is called Bongo and the other is called Mickey and the Beanstalk, were both intended originally to be standalone feature films, but for various reasons they were deconstructed and edited down to where they were at a half hour approximately apiece. little fun trivia fact for people who actually care about Disney trivia, this is the last time that Walt Disney himself did Mickey's voice. He had, uh, between a lack of time and a lack of energy, in, in addition to you know running a studio which even in the 40s took a lot of energy, combined with the potential of some vocal issues from his smoking, though that is not confirmed, Walt decided to no longer voice Mickey. And in fact, halfway through this particular short, Walt's voice is no longer there. In fact, it is being done by Jimmy MacDonald, who was Disney's original sound effects man. He got the gig. He did part of the vocal work for Mickey and the Beanstalk, and he held the job for about 30 years, until 1977. Some more fun trivia facts for you Disney Mickey fans. And if you go to the Mickey Mouse Wikipedia page, you'll see all of the people that have done Mickey's voice. But as of right now, Mickey is voiced by two different people. On the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and in video games, he is voiced by Brett Iwan. And for the Disney Channel's Mickey Mouse show, he is voiced by Chris Diamantopoulos, who is uh, an actor who has been in the Three Stooges movie. He did an arc on season four, I believe, of episodes on Showtime. He's been around. The two short films have the framework of Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy is in the beginning of the movie. He is in a house. He is walking amongst the possessions of the house. He was swimming uh, in not, not swimming, but he was in a boat in a little lake, which is actually found to be just part of the house's decor. He introduces the story of Bongo by putting a record on, which is being sung by Dinah Shore. And when that is over, he reads an invitation that is on a desk that is addressed to Luana Patton. And it is inviting Luana to a party down the block. And the party was that night. So Jiminy then goes over to that house and he bridges the Bongo short to Mickey and the Beanstalk. The second short is told to Luana Patton by famed ventriloquist Edgar Bergen and uh, two of his uh, dummies, Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd. 
There's been no re-release of Fun and Fancy Free. However, both shorts have been seen on one of the versions of Walt Disney Presents, which to my generation, I'm in my mid-30s, would be better known as the Wonderful World of Disney. It premiered to positive reviews in September of 1947. And going back to J. Michael Barrier's book, we have no more box office information to speak of, and if there's anything that's going to be anywhere, it would have been in that book. There's also no awards, no accolades, nothing there to mention either. This is just a standard Walt Disney made money, or trying to make money, using animation that existed in some form uh, during World War II that was edited to the point where he could make a package film out of it. And all that said, let's get into what Fun and Fancy Free is. It is a movie that is trying to tell you that life is better if you are living fun and fancy free. It's in the opening song. It's in the song that Jiminy Cricket is singing when he appears. And it's essentially the framework, very loose framework, of what this movie is. The opening credits tell us that Edgar Bergen and Dinah Shore star in the movie, and it features Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, Luana Patton, and that would be the live-action people that in Dummy said it features. And it also features Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, and Jiminy Cricket. It does not say it features Goofy. Goofy is getting the shaft here, folks. So Jiminy Cricket appears first. He's still singing about how much better life is when it's fun. He's going through the house. He loads up this record player for the first segment. After reading that, it says it's about a it's a story called Bongo, a musical story that is sung by Dinah Shore. Bongo is based on the story Little Bear Bongo, written by famed author Sinclair Lewis, who is not Upton Sinclair and is not C.S. Lewis. But if you're like me, all of those names get jumbled together in your head. My English degree is sometimes not worth the paper that it's printed on. Bongo is a circus bear, and he is the star of his show, but he yearns for freedom. He dances, he juggles, he rides a unicycle on a tightrope. His finale is he dives into a wet sponge. Everyone loves him, everyone cheers. But when the show is over, he is back in chains, and he is put in a cage on a train to go to the next town. But when he is out on the train, Bongo hears the call of the wild, and rattling his cage door, he escapes from the train mid-ride. He lands in a forest, and all of the forest animals are essentially pointing and laughing at him, because, yeah, he's a bear, but he is not a wild bear. So, rather than climb a tree the way a bear would, using all four of its claws in a slow fashion, Bongo tries to walk up the tree in a cartoonish fashion, and he ends up falling right onto his back. However, with all of this smiling and laughing at him, he doesn't care. He's just very happy, too happy to be free. After a period of discovery that the wilderness is indeed wild, Bongo falls into a lake where he meets a female bear named Lulubel. They fall in love instantly. We have an extended dream sequence with Cupid bears, which gives way to the nemesis appearing, the third bear of the three bears in this story, Lumpjaw, who is big and burly and scary, everything that Bongo isn't. Lumpjaw appears, but Lulubel stops him to indicate that she is with Bongo, which she does by slapping Bongo in the face. Slaps him two times, and Bongo, being a circus bear and not a wild bear, does not understand that this means that she likes him. So the third time, when she goes to slap him, he ducks, 
she accidentally goes around in circles and slaps Lumpjaw, who is in love now, and he takes Lulubel as his. Bongo rides his unicycle away, ends up on a landing where he looks down and sees the other bears dancing, and he hears a song. They're singing a song that says, basically, when a girl or a boy bear likes one another, they slap one another. And so he sees that the slapping is, is a good thing. It's not for fighting. It's not for heartbreak. So he goes back, and he realizes what the slaps are, and he fights to win Lulubelf back. And he does it, fighting with his unicycle, and ultimately going over a cliff, a waterfall, with Lumpjaw, but being saved by his hat, his circus hat that's on his head. It catches on a branch, and he does not fall all the way down the waterfall, but Lumpjaw does, and he is gone, and Lulubel and Bongo get to be happily ever after. We're back with Jiminy Cricket, who is still in the first house, and what he is finding is an invitation that says that Edgar Bergen, famed ventriloquist, is having a party that night. So Jiminy leaves the house he's in to go down the street to that party. Now, the party is indeed live action mixed in with an animated house. We have an animated outside and essentially a green screen that puts the action on the inside. Edgar Bergen is there. He does some shtick with his dummies, and he does a hand puppet thing, and it's all kind of silly. And then he tells Luana the story of Happy Valley, a place where all the residents are happy, and that's why it's named that. This ultimately becomes Mickey and the Beanstalk, the Disney take on the Jack and the Beanstalk fairy tale. We learn of a magic singing harp that was one night stolen when a mysterious shadow crept over the valley. Once the harp is stolen, Happy Valley falls into drought and misery. We learn that Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are three poor farmers barely alive in Happy Valley. Following a hunger-caused crazy outbreak by Donald, which includes him taking an axe out to try and kill their only cow, Mickey decides to sell the cow for food. So he takes it and he sells it. But he doesn't get food, he gets magic beans. Donald, presumably, not happy about this. The beans grow in the moonlight that night into a giant beanstalk that lifts the house into the clouds. When they get into the clouds, the trio finds that they are very small, about the size of insects. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy find their way into a house, eat some food, and find that golden harp, that singing harp, in a locked box. They find out the harp was taken by Willie the Giant, who, in a song, tells you that he can transform himself into anything he wants. Mickey sees this and tries to get Willie to transform himself into a fly, because Mickey sees a fly swatter and he wants to kill him. But Willie changes into a bunny instead, because that's what Willie really wanted to do. Angry, Willie locks them away, but Mickey is not in the box. He escaped, and when the harp sings Willie to sleep, Mickey goes after the key frees his friends and gets the harp. Willie awakens and he is mad. He goes after the escapees and as he chases Mickey down the beanstalk, Mickey finds that Donald and Goofy are already at the bottom cutting it down. And Mickey goes down there and he helps them and they chop it all the way down and Willie falls and he is presumably killed and Happy Valley returns to normal. Mortimer Snurd at this point gets very sad that the poor misunderstood giant shouldn't have died. But Edgar Bergen tries to explain to him that it was just a figment of his imagination and that none of it was real. And then the top of Edgar Bergen's house is lifted up and Willie the Giant looks in asking if they've seen Mickey. Bergen faints. Willie, not getting any help, decides to go to Hollywood. He puts the house down and he walks into Hollywood in search of Mickey. 
and the short and the entire movie end with Billy not finding Mickey, but walking into Hollywood and finding the Brown Derby restaurant, which has a hat on top of it that lights up. He picks it up off his foundation, and he wears it on his head as he walks away. The end, a Walt Disney production. Pretty standard fare as far as what you would expect from a Disney cartoon as far as a short goes, but I have some problems with a lot of what we've seen. And for the first time in a while, we have plot-driven action, so we can have some plot-driven problems. For starters, let's go back to before Bongo starts, when Jiminy Cricket is still in the house. He is almost eaten by a cat, but in escaping, he tells the cat to take it easy, and then barks very loudly as a dog would at the cat. And the cat, who knows that the cricket is small and was trying to eat him, gets scared off by the very thing he was about to eat. Now, the cat's smart enough to know that this is a cricket, and he's smart enough to know that he can consume it, but he's stupid enough to be scared by it. That doesn't make any sense. What are you doing to me, Disney? As we get into Bongo, we see that he hears the call of the wild, but he doesn't know the first thing about being a wild animal. Even in his escape, he is getting off the train with the help of a unicycle. You know, like any bear would do. How is Bongo feeling the call of the wild? He's not. They use the phrase, the call of the wild, but he just doesn't want to be locked up and performing in the circus anymore. He's tired of being mistreated. That I get. Call of the wild, I'm not so sure about that. Now, the wild animals who accompany Bongo on his walk through the woods, they would not do this in real life. Come on! Bongo is a bear. Yeah, he's a small bear, but he's a bear. And I understand that they were pointing and laughing at him. But do none of them see the bear as a bear? Which means to say, do they not see him as a threat? That is a bear. And bears eat small animals. And a bear could very easily grab a chipmunk and put it in its mouth and take out a skeleton, much as you would see in a cartoon. Now, if these animals don't want to be to-go meals, they probably should not be hanging out with a bear, even if it's one as silly as Bongo. As we move on through the Bongo short, rainfalls and lightning starts following Bongo's every move. He jumps on a rock, and the lightning jumps to the rock. He jumps to the next rock, and the lightning jumps from the first rock to the second one. If it doesn't try to zap him, it zaps a tree to make it fall on him. Lightning is scary enough on its own. Did we really need to have lightning do something it doesn't do? Can't the lightning just strike and scare the bejesus out of him? Such as it probably would for a circus bear. Just saying. Maybe I'm nitpicking. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. This is just the things that I'm pointing out as I see them. So Bongo meets Lulu Bell. Lulu Bell is a girl. And we know this because she's got very soft features. But they beat us about the head with it because she has a pink flower on her head. Why is that necessary? She is lighter in color. She is Feminine in feature, she is very shy-looking. She is very come-hither in her face, as much as a female animated bear could be. There is never a doubt in my mind, such as when Lumpjaw comes along, there's no doubt in my mind he's a big hulking male bear. We are aware that Lulubel is a girl. The flower was just kind of silliness. We didn't need it. That's about all I have on Bongo. And between Bongo and Mickey and the Beanstalk was a party scene, as we've discussed. And I just have to, I have to ask, 
If you've seen Fun and Fancy Free, I, I, good for you. You're, you're in the minority, certainly. What the heck is going on in this party? There's Edgar Bergen doing the voice of a puppet face drawn on his hand, and he's doing it for a child actress who received an invitation that Jiminy Cricket reads. And the party is just the two of them. It's Bergen, it's the, it's the eight-year-old, and it's Bergen's two puppets acting on their own volition without McCarthy, which ventriloquist dummies are kind of creepy to begin with. I don't really have, like, a clown thing. I don't really have a dummy thing. Just on an objective level, I do believe they're kind of creepy to look at. And this is no exception. So when the two puppets start acting of their own volition, and they don't have McCarthy next to them, miming them along the way, it's really weird. What kind of party now? Back to the party. Has only one guest. The guest being a nine-year-old, being entertained and plied with cake and ice cream and candy by a 44-year-old man. This is not a party. This is an episode of Dateline and Chris Hansen's about to appear. I know it's the 40s. I know nothing is happening. And I still felt completely uncomfortable by the live-action party sequence. And for what it's worth, and if this is blasphemy, so be it. But Edgar Bergen is not a very good ventriloquist. Maybe this is a known fact, and I've just never seen him before, and I know I haven't seen him before. I've heard of Edgar Bergen, I've seen still photographs of him, but I've never actually seen him do the job. Bergen's mouth is noticeable every time he's doing a dummy voice, because some of the times he's with the dummies, animating them, making them move. And you can see, plain as day, it's, it's, it's ventriloquism 101 and he hasn't taken the class yet. His mouth is moving very blatantly. Technically speaking, I don't know if this is a fact or not because it's kind of hard to really you know, find this information out. But Edgar Bergen is not good at what he does, technically speaking. But he's basically the most famous ventriloquist, not named Jeff Dunham, uh, in the last 100 years. I mean, there aren't too many of them that have made a career out of it. And he's like, number one, he's the primary. And I don't know why. Briefly now, on the Mickey and the Beanstalk sequence, because, you know, it's it's magical, it's fantasy, and I'm not really gonna, you know, nitpick on that. I'm happy to see Mickey, and I think we all are. I find it hard to believe that Mickey's popularity was decreasing in the 40s and that these various vehicles, such as the Sorcerer's Apprentice and this one, were done to kind of bring him back up into prominence. I, I thought Mickey was always in the forefront. But apparently, and this is documented in a couple of places, it wasn't the case. Things like the Warner Brothers cartoons took precedent, Popeye was big, Tom and Jerry. Within the Disney company, you've got Donald and Goofy, whom I admittedly like more than Mickey, but I don't think Mickey's unpopular. But apparently he was. Just get going back to the actual sequence where the beanstalk is growing through the house, lifting it up and breaking the house into pieces. Nobody wakes up. Everybody just sleeps through it. Goofy's bed just disintegrates. It gets destroyed and he's kind of rocking on a piece of wood. And Donald is laying in bed and he got his feet tickled and nothing happens. And the house is shaking 
and creaking and falling apart and getting lifted up and nobody nobody ever comes to it's not a complaint it's just that when my heat comes up in the winter time it wakes me up the pipes clang and then i'm up and it takes a while for me to go back to sleep because in my mind whenever i hear these noises in january and february and march somebody's trying to break into my house now nobody is trying to break into my house but at two in the morning when i hear loud noises I'm basically up and awake, and I'm pretty much done for the night. Half the time, done for the night. And these three, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, are sleeping through a beanstalk destroying their house. That just... Maybe it's just bothering me that I can't sleep through the night when there's loud pipes banging. The air conditioner doesn't wake me up. It's summertime right now. I sleep through the air conditioner. But those pipes go off, and I just, I just wake right up. Finally, on the faults, the technical issue here of Willie the Giant being able to transform into anything, that's fine. They use the plot to try and get him to turn into a fly, but instead he turns into a bunny. He gets mad. Hey, that's great. When he's falling off the beanstalk, does it not occur to him that he can transform into any animal that flies? A bird, an insect, a dinosaur, for crying out loud. He could have turned into a pterodactyl if he could turn into anything. He could have saved himself. Instead... He falls off, and for a minute we presume he's dead. But as we find out, he's alive and well and now in Hollywood. So I guess it doesn't matter, but it was just something that was bugging me. Feels good. Feels good to have some faults. But that said, let's turn our thoughts and wishes to opinions of honesty, such as we do in the final segment of this podcast. I really question calling this a package film. It's two unrelated stories with Jiminy Cricket holding it together. I don't count Jiminy Cricket setting up a record to start the first one and then showing up at a party for the second one as a framework. And there's no theme to the two pieces. Bongo is a circus bear. Mickey and the Beanstalk is based on an old fairy tale. I also think that if you remove the nonsense from the bongo story, you would still have a sweet fish-out-of-water thing that works. Bongo finds a girl, falls in love, has his growing pains, ends up happily ever after. That's a cute story, and I think it would work on its own level without any of the crazy stuff that is overly crazy happening. Now, I don't see how either piece would have worked as a feature-length film. Each one's about 30 fleshed-out minutes, and there's not really any filler in there, and I think that's what makes the two of them work nicely. The filler is the framework, and the framework I can always do without. And, yeah, Edgar Bergen, yeah, he must have must have been great being a ventriloquist on the radio, because no one can see you, and no one knows that your lips are moving, and nobody cares if your lips are moving, because they can't see you. So, Edgar Bergen might have been famous for being a ventriloquist, but for me going forward, he is going to be famous for being a bad one. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are always welcome on my screen, whether that means I'm watching Fun and Fancy Free, or it means my four-year-old is watching the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I'm okay with either of those. Because, really, how effective are they? They took Jack and the Beanstalk, They took a take on that, and they made it interesting. 
the three of them, you've got Goofy's gosh darn niceness, you've got Mickey's innocence, and you've got Donald's crazy. And the three of them play off of one another very well. The three characters are fit to be together, and I'm happy to see it. So once again, we've got entertaining short films, horrible framework. And if we didn't have the framework and we just had two short films, 60, 62 minutes in length, I'd give it more than I gave it. I give this a 6 out of 10, or a 3 out of 5 star rating. And a lot of the lowness of the rating is due to the fact that I want nothing to do with the framework. I want nothing to do with Jiminy Cricket unless I'm watching Pinocchio. I don't care about this creepy party that Edgar Bergen is throwing. In fact, I'd like to never talk about it again. And so, on that lovely note, we will end things. Not a moment too soon, I'm sure. We thank you, as always, for being a listener of Fault Disney Movies. Next time is episode 10. 10 episodes already. Look at that. We're going to be doing Melody Time from 1948. It's essentially Make Mine Music the second, or Fantasia the third, if you prefer. And it's the fifth of six package films, which means we've got that. We've got the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And then we get to Cinderella. One of my all-time favorites. One of the best things the Walt Disney Company has ever done. I can't wait to be done with package films, and I hope you are with me looking forward to Cinderella. Although, I like it so much, I will once again have problems finding everything wrong with it. In the meantime, we're on iTunes, you can rate us there. My name, as always, has been Nick, and I am, as always, your tour guide. I thank you for your listenership, and I hope that you come back next time. Bye. (laughs) Bye.